0: Are we gonna sing along.
1: Yeah, I think, of I think course! Gonna I wanna put on my, 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 bookie bookie shoes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to meet you Why are you here? I suppose I'm here to make friends with you. And your dad's too. But my heart is broken.
2: Why is it broken?
1: Because of what I have to do today. vision, which has now become a command that we cannot ignore. The four of us are here to prevent the apocalypse. Your family has been chosen to make a horrible decision. If you fail to choose, the world will end.
3: everybody welcome to the latest episode of fresh cuts this is mike joining me as always it's mr venom how's it going venom
2: greetings and salutations campers i'm doing pretty well how the hell are you doing mike
3: i'm doing all right uh man we got a doozy of a one to talk about today so uh i'll introduce our next co-host don and ellie what's up don how are you
0: yeah what's going on always happy to be here
3: cool all right so this episode we are discussing the latest from m night Shyamalan, and that would be knock at the cabin based on i think the novel is like the cabin at the end of the world um so the synopsis of this one while vacationing a girl and her parents are taken hostage by armed strangers who demand that the family make a choice to avert the apocalypse all right hell of a setup i guess so we'll start with general thoughts let's kick it to venom what did you think of knock at the cabin
2: All right. Well, before I start, I I just wanted to say that I've never really been shy about talking about M. Night Shyamalan and kind of my disappointment in him over the last many decades. It seems like for every three good movies he makes, he makes one, excuse me, for every three bad movies he makes, he makes one good one. Well, I'm happy to report that I feel like Knock at the Cabin is a good one. I actually had a really good time with this Movie. It's a you know it, it's a it's, it's a simple little story. Obviously, it, ha, it has a grand scale if you've seen the trailer, but it, it's still a very isolated story that just has wide-reaching ramifications more than anything. Um, I love the isolated location. I, I I think all four of our antagonists, if you can call them that, um, do a really good job. In fact, all the performances in the movie are, are really well done. I, I, I felt like there, there's no. Stupid characters in here, you know, like a certain movie that we reviewed last week, making terrible decisions left and right. I feel like everybody was very organic with their dialogue, with their actions, their decision making, things like that. So, yeah, I'm happy to report that I had a really good time with this movie. I was invested in the mystery of it all. Um, Obviously, you guys know I don't watch trailers. So going into this, you know, thinking it was a basic home invasion movie and then getting something completely different. Um, that that just really helped my enjoyment of the film. Like, like I said, you know, all the developments at every turn I felt were, you know, quite believable and, you know, still had, a, like I said, reaching long reaching ramifications for people outside of this cabin. Um, I thought I like the setup. Uh, you don't have to wait long. I mean, literally the movie starts and already we're introduced to one of our antagonists. So. I feel like there's no waiting. Uh, w- w- all the character development that we get, we get in flashback. And I actually like that. Ra- rather than wasting a good chunk of the first act or the first two acts developing our protagonist, we do that through flashback. And I think it was a great choice because... Uh, You know, we got the information as we needed it. We didn't really need to know everything about this couple going in, but peppering us with a little bit of information about their past here and there, especially how these four antagonists kind of actually have a little bit of a history with one of the characters. You know, I thought that was pretty well done. Yeah. Overall, I I just like. This movie a lot. I mean, I damn near love it. Like I said, it's you can make the argument that it's not a horror movie. Once again, you know, you can you can make the argument that it's a you know psychological thriller action, you know, dark action, whatever. I mean, you know, whatever you want to call it. it it's obviously a horror story for our three protagonists, you know, in the proverbial cabin. But I, I just I'm trying to, you know, I literally walked out of the theater about an hour ago for this movie. So I'm, I'm still trying to put my thoughts together. But, yeah, my guttural reaction is I really, really enjoyed this movie. I had a really good time with it. I liked all the characters involved on either side of the fence, be they protagonist or antagonist. I love the ending like the ending was satisfying to me. That's something that M. Night Shyamalan endings don't always do for me. Sometimes, you know, he, he gets kind of preoccupied with his twist. And, you know, I feel like sometimes the story suffers for that. But, you know, he he's, he doesn't have that hang up with this one. You know, we get we get a nice uh, culmination of the story. We even get a little flash forward on, you know, to what happens to a couple of our um, characters or a couple of our main characters. So all in all, I had a really good time with this movie. I walked in with no expectations and maybe that's why. I ended up really, really enjoying this because, you know, once I see M. Night Shyamalan's name attached to something, instantly I'm kind of, you know, skittish about the whole thing going into it. But uh, I got to say, I was really impressed with this nice. This is probably like the nicest little movie he's ever made. You know, like I said, despite the long reaching ramifications, it's just this nice little isolated story, you know, with these seven main characters. And yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. I recommend it.
3: All right, and you got the nice uh guttural reaction callback in there, too. <laughs> as, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh, shit, I remember when you were doing those. <laughs> My very first show? All right. Yeah. Yep. All right, Don, how about you? General thoughts on Knock at the Cabin?
0: Yeah, I'm kind of uh, still deciding where I want to put this in uh, M. Night's catalog. I'm um, I i I'm like, then I'm... I, have a hit and miss relationship with him where every time I try to like, I find something of his, I like he has two or three in a row that just don't really impress me that much. And I, I I'm still debating on this one. Cause I, I mean, I've only seen it the one time and it's kind of hard to really get a basic value of uh, his films after just one viewing. I he's one of the few that I actually don't mind revisiting just because I, I usually find more stuff in value with, uh, with repeat viewings and you know finding out how everything ties together i i'm still not sure on this one because i i think i i i came to the conclusion that it's not really all that well developed and i'll, I'll say this i i think the premise is interesting but it doesn't go much deeper than that i i think the setup the moral dilemma what happens involved in here is okay i mean it's you know uh, it's a it's a standard schoolyard question, you know. Would you save one to save a billion, or do you save the billion? And you know, like that's sort of the you know the 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 underlining message that the film plays with. But a- after a while, I I just found myself just getting bored with all the interactions. I I I don't really care about why the group is here trying to taunt the family. I I really don't give a crap. The backstory. You know the the few flashbacks we get are fine, but I I, I just I don't have much more invel- involvement with them than I did previously. It's just you know yeah they're being taken held hostage by this group and they're trying to you know pose this question to everybody. But other than that, I, I really just I did I didn't really care. I mean I was not bored to the point of wanting to turn it off, but it was just I I was watching stuff happening. And that's kind of a weird reaction for me because I'm not really used to that with an M9 movie. And I don't know if this is something that he, I I forget if he was actually the one that, uh, that wrote the screenplay for this, or if he was just the director, because if it's a director for hire, I that makes a little bit more sense. But if he wrote this, I, I don't know because this was kind of, it, it was just like a straightforward story and there wasn't really as much twists and turns as I was expecting it in, for one of his kinds of films it just you know it 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 just barrels ahead to this you know end point and you know i'm not saying what that end point is because you know we're not there yet but it, it just sets up an end point and it just kind of barrels along there and after a while it just i i just felt like i was watching stuff happen rather than being invested in what's happened like, I, if we weren't doing this for the show, I, I probably would have just tapped out and said, yeah, fuck this. I mean, it, yeah, it's not horror. Yeah, it's not really something that I probably would have watched otherwise. But, I, I, I mean, it's not bad enough for me to have, like, felt like I was saying, you know, I, I even if we're watching this for a show, I'm going to turn it off. I mean, it's not that bad, but it just, nothing really made me feel like I w- wanted to invest more than what I did with it, so... Yeah, I, I I can't say I hated it, but I can't say I liked it either. It's kind of, I it's definitely in the bottom tier for me because it just doesn't feel like an M Night movie to me. I, I mean, like I said, I I don't know if he wrote this. I don't know if he's just a director for hire that did this. I mean, I, he had to have been because this came out so soon after Old, right? Because it he usually has a little bit of, he usually has like a longer break between films because this felt like really quickly after Old he did this. But yeah, overall, uh, I I mean, the premise has value, but other than that, uh, I I just I found myself wearing out interest really quickly. So yeah, not for me again. Uh, Another one of his that's just not for me, I guess.
2: Uh, to answer your question, it looks like M. Knight is one of the three credited writers of the screenplay, so it looks like it wasn't just a solo effort this time. It looks like he had some people involved, not counting Paul Tremblay, who wrote the book, but the three people who actually wrote the screenplay.
0: Okay, yeah, um, I, I was trying to pay attention to the, the opening credits. I don't, I don't. Maybe I must have just missed that bit, but yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I did know because, I mean, like I said, I usually know that there's a bigger gap between his films and this came out so quickly. I mean, he probably could have been director for Hire, but yeah, either way, not really that impressed with it. I mean, not terrible enough to turn it off, but not terrible enough to say, yeah, great stuff.
2: I am going to agree with one thing you said. This movie does not feel like an M. Night Shyamalan movie, but that's probably why I enjoyed it, because I just feel like sometimes he tries too hard to emulate himself. And in this particular case, he just put a movie together. He just put this little movie together, this grand story, you know, from from the original novel. And because it didn't feel like an M Night movie, I, I think that's probably the main reason I loved it. I I, I walked away loving it, and that's only that's after one viewing, mind you. I didn't get a chance to watch it a second time yet, so.
0: Yeah, I can see that.
3: <laughs> all right. So I think I come in somewhere in between Venom and Dawn. I, I think I thought the the performance by all the actors in this movie were really good, including the child actor. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he played the daughter in this. Um, and I, I want to say I, I felt like this out of I can't really say out of all of M. Knight's movies because obviously some he wrote. And this one was adapted from a book, so it wasn't 100% like an, an original M. Night story. But I just think this one tends to lean a lot more on the nose with what's going on. I, I thought, like, you know, you kind of get where the movie's going with all this about, I, I wouldn't even say halfway through, just the fact that like four, four people show up and what they say they're there for i mean okay you're we're we're leaning heavily into themes here um but you know i thought everyone did a good job i thought batista i have i haven't seen a ton of the stuff he's been in i think he was in like some mcu stuff but as far as his acting in this i thought he was pretty good i was actually impressed with like kind of like the gentle brute (laughs) the character he did um venom mentioned the flashbacks to like build more uh like background and story I was actually hoping that we would have got flashbacks of the people that showed up at the cabin because to me, like, I, I can't remember if it was Dawn or Venom that, that said it almost felt like a little incomplete of a story, but I, I, I kind of wanted more um, background on them, like how they went from, like, individually, you know, seeing all this to kind of like coming together as a group like we get a little bit of exposition through dialogue um about like how exactly they ended up where they ended up but i wanted more and the only reason i say that is because we we do get flashbacks from our from our uh, main well i don't want to say main character the end uh, the uh, protagonists but like their flashbacks is nothing surprising to, like i would have expected that just because of who the characters are to begin with like that they probably went through that kind of stuff in in their lives right That, that that's just unfortunately i would say that's almost like a normal thing maybe not that exact scenario but like similar things that type of discrimination that they would probably face at some point in their lives so i didn't really feel like their flashbacks added a whole bunch i wanted to know more because they kind of kind of walk a tight line like obviously there's uh there's subtext going on here um you could even say like religious subtext which is which is fine but uh, and there's nothing wrong with that but I, i felt like it started to lean heavily on that i just wanted to know more about them what their motivations are because most what we get from them is like we saw visions and we came together because of visions and I'm like, okay, but like, I want to know more exactly what the process was of going from like, Holy shit. I saw visions and I'm fucking crazy to I saw visions and we got to carry out this mission. Um, It kind of gave me at, at some points, almost like half like frailty vibes, because I think as viewers, you know, we're trying to figure out like um, when this confrontation is going on, like, are they, crazy um showing up here doing this Uh, like obviously they think they saw visions and for four people to see the same visions like it, it it would appear more than coincidence but from what i from what i haven't read the book i did look up like some differences from what i've heard the book tries to keep it a little more ambiguous i think the movie once it gets where it goes it's it would be hard to not fall on one side of it Hey, it, you know, unless you guys disagree that we can get into that more in spoilers, but I think the movie makes it pretty clear, like, whether they were crazy or not by the end of it. Right. So um, I don't know. I, I didn't. <laughs> I, I like the movie. OK, like I said, I thought uh. everyone acted well. I just thought it was kind of. It was unspectacular, but it w- it was an all right movie. So I'll leave it at that.
2: All right. Well, first thing I'm going to disagree with you with is uh, the backstory on the four people. I at no point did I want to know anything more about those characters other than what they told us. And on top of the fact, how fucking long do you want this movie to be? That's like a whole nother movie watching these four people go through everything they went through and then finally coming to terms with it. I mean, Jesus Christ.
1: Um, well, I would get cut out the all the explanation from our
2: protagonists. I'll, I'll put it, I, see, it. I, I don't. I feel like you can't do that. E- even though, yes, I agree with you that it's pretty basic bitch backstory. I understand that, but I think we still kind of need to see it. Because then, if we don't see it, what's the point? Like, what is the point of following these three characters? Really, these two characters and their daughter. Like, and I love the the realization of whether these people are insane or not in a slow, more trickling manner. Like, like where exactly would you put the flashback? Because if you put the flashback in anywhere in the first or second act, it ruins the entire third act, in my opinion. I think that the whole thing that this movie is hinging on is whether they are telling the truth or not. And slowly as the movie goes along, you kind of make your own realization. But if we get flashbacks, then we know right from the start whether they're insane or not. And like, where is the I don't know, where's the mystery then? Then it's just because then then we have an entirely different impression of uh, the gay couple and their daughter, you know, because it's like we're just yelling at them. Do what they're telling you to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, this is just obviously this is my personal opinion. But, yeah. And then the explanation that we get at the end of the movie from Eric, his quote unquote biblical explanation of who they are. I fucking love that explanation. That's all the explanation I want. It's absolutely perfect. I, I just loved it. Um, yeah, I I don't know, man.
3: Four more flashbacks, Jesus! <laughs> didn't the movie have well, enough? it wouldn't have been it, it wouldn't have been four more though. It, I would have cut out <clears throat> all the flashbacks we got because I just I, I didn't feel like that really added anything. I I you know like the fact that the fact that when let's see, I don't know, I I don't even. I mean, I disagree. I mean, think about in, the fact that
2: obviously obviously but i mean we got the flashback with the anger management thing and that w- played directly into the third act as we see um you know the, you know the, the the opinions that they have of each other in that flashback how they're talking about their you know um their their cons if you will i th- i love that because it sets up their characters beautifully for the third act and what they both decide to do um i mean i i understand what you're saying mike that the back That you think the backstory didn't add anything to it. I'm going to disagree because if that backstory is not there, what is the incentive to care about this couple? Then they're just two random gay guys that were in a cabin and, you know, being victimized by these four people who suddenly we do get flashbacks for. See, I would be complaining in the opposite direction if that's what happened. I'd be like, why did they set up the four antagonists more than the protagonists? That doesn't make
3: sense to me. Obviously, well, I don't, you know, don't even think the, pro- think the protagonists need set up, though. I mean, they are oh, a couple. How do you a, not set them up, though? How do you care about the characters a, if you don't set? Because uh, they're, just
1: they're just two random gay guys.
2: If we don't get the setup, but they're being they, t- so, so I, you're I happy with that backstory? That's what I'm asking. I don't, you're happy I don't, with that, just need,
3: knowing that they're. I don't need a. But their backstory is inconsequential. They're just a couple on vacation, like their kid getting attacked. What do I it care? I'm
2: not inconsequential. You just don't see the connecting tissue. You're missing the connective tissue between those flashbacks and the main story. Again, I'm not trying to invalidate your opinion, but I'm like, well, I, I guarantee you would pan that movie. If, if the movie that you're asking for is the movie that we got, you would be complaining about how we know nothing about the protagonist and why we should care. I can already hear Don saying, why should I care? You know, you know, not to say that yeah. anyway, but I'm just saying No, I, 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 I'm
0: completely I, I'm, I'm trying to get a word in here. But, yeah, I'm completely with venom on this, Mike. Yeah, it, it's better to know the to know, the, the couple than it is to know the, the, the intruders.
3: Well, I don't mean I know don't them as love people. Eric's I meant, explanation. I meant how they came together.
2: That's Eric's still a flashback, though. I mean, you're still adding time to the movie and then taking away something that a lot of people kind of need. That's the whole reason that they are protagonists and antagonists. We are with the protagonist. If we yeah, know nothing protagonist, about the protagonists, what makes them the protagonists?
3: But they're. But I'm assuming our protagonists are just good, normal people to begin with. I mean, they're well, good people I, on I that, getting though. attacked.
2: What if they are pieces well, of shit getting attacked? <laughs> you know, well, that's well, then, 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 But then
3: that heard. would get revealed through the story too. Like I, you take a neutral opinion on the on the characters. I mean the the background I mean the it, from the story I, I thought I got it really doesn't matter if they're good or not they were just chosen because they were chosen and there's not like a right. there's not like a specific reason so the background stuff really doesn't matter I mean they the when when the people show up there there's never at some point where like well we chose you because these characteristics of you made it so you guys had to be it because the specific thing about you and then you get the flashbacks and, Oh yeah, that's what like, no, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't really matter. They're just any, like any other couple taking their kid to the cabin and they get attacked. For me, that's enough. I I don't need any additional information to sympathize with people getting attacked. The line that, that Batista has towards the end
2: of the movie where he looks at the couple and he says, I think the reason you were chosen is because your love is so pure if we didn't get a backstory, that line would have zero meaning. I mean, you're basically asking the audience to accept that these two people are good people, loving people that always do the right thing without any backstory. That, that's a well, lot. Well, why would that's I assume they not, man. though?
3: But the, well, I can the point assume is, about you don't assume anything. You're not supposed to assume no, but No, but I can get that just from their interactions in the cabin with each other, that they obviously love each other and want to protect the child. yes.
2: Yeah, but Bonnie and Clyde love each other passionately, too. I, 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 Mickey and Mallory loved each other passionately, too. I mean,
3: we can assume yeah, but, that but, a couple
2: loves each other passionately. That doesn't mean they're good people
3: without the backstory. Yeah, but, but Mickey and Mallory were specifically getting actions to show they're bad people. In this movie, we're not getting shown they're bad people. I'm saying we would just have a neutral opinion. Like, they're right. just a couple. And there's like a reason. Other... <laughs>
2: there's a reason that
3: we don't they're just a couple but uh, if it's a couple you are auto- you automatically already assume they love each other like i would have no reason to think there's anything bad about them to begin with i don't like you you would have to, sh- you, would have to sh- you would have to show me something about them that's bad to then plant the seed like oh maybe they're actually bad people i'm not uh, i'm not going to make that leap myself right exactly
2: ah. so why do i have to make the leap that they're good people that with this, a pure love that Apparently, I'm
3: I'm just using what's on screen to show me. But if you don't get the backstory
2: of these protagonists, you are making a leap. You're literally admitting you just said you would assume that they were good people. You are making a leap.
3: (laughs) I mean, you're literally making a leap. No, I'm just using what's on screen. And What's on screen is a couple taking their kids on vacation that they everything I see appears that they love each other and it. If They're good people, so I have no reason to think against that. Hmm. I don't I'm know. Right here I, just I've never seen it my ass I've,
0: off because, oh, go I'm just right here laughing my ass off because I, I wish you guys could see the popcorn gif image of me right now listening to you guys.
2: Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. No, absolutely. No, that's the whole point. That's why we do these shows, to come up with our the things that we disagree with. We're not all the same people, ultimately. I mean, if every horror fan liked the same movies, it'd be easy. I, I know. But, I'm, no. I'm
0: just booking fun because yeah, I, I'm completely with you. I, I'm failing to see why why Mike's harping on this point because the the entire thing is how does this family come up come together with the moral dilemma that they're faced with and it, knowing the pro, knowing the antagonist instead of the protagonist, yeah, that doesn't make the movie for me.
3: But it, just it uh, kind, in it, my opinion, it, it kind it, of it, reveals. It... Go ahead. Well from from what I got from it, it and maybe maybe I missed some dialogue, but were the was the couple and the kid part of the visions or was it just the cabin? So whoever was in that cabin was gonna get the test yeah. regardless and then Batista, I forgot his name. <laughs> I just called him Batista. Yes, he says that line at the end. But it's not like they knew that going into it, that like, oh, these people are being chosen because of their pure love. He just kind of makes that assumption after the fact. Right. But he's not basing that on the flashbacks because he doesn't have that knowledge. He's just basing that on what he's observed from the cabin itself, just like I would have been without the flashbacks. So that's just him making a judgment based on, oh, they seem to care about each other based on the events going on in this cabin. So if it's enough for him to make that statement, why would it not be enough for me as a viewer to take the same lesson just based on what we've seen in the cabin? I'm just saying the flashbacks. Gra- the flashbacks weren't bad. There's nothing in there that's like, oh, this is stupid. I just think they weren't necessary. Like it, it didn't, it didn't make me think. Like I, it didn't make me think anything about them that I already didn't generally think in the first place. Obviously, they adopted a child uh maybe i i don't know if it was like international adoption maybe it was i i, I can't remember but like yeah they showed us <laughs> well no i remember the adoption flashback scene but i just couldn't remember if it was like international like in the flashback itself i mean it, it i would mean they were the only white people the characters.
2: in the whole scene so see i they were the only white people in the scene so you can assume they're not in america <laughs>
3: Right. Yeah. Uh, uh,
2: I, I, like I said, I just feel like if we don't get that backstory, you would have something else to complain about. You would just find uh, a reason I to wouldn't to say, why don't it, I know but... more about it? Yeah, you say that now. It's easy to say that now. I'm just saying, I, I know you. You you would have found something else to complain about. I think uh, with, with the with the why didn't the, why don't we learn anything about the good the protagonists? Blah blah blah. Why did we spend and why did M Night choose to ruin the third act by giving us flashbacks of these people?
3: Well, no, my complaint that's the whole point. Is, no, no, my complaint is that antagonists showed up as a group, and all we really know is they claim they saw visions and found each other online. To me, that I'm right. like. Then if then if I'm that couple, I'm just like get the fuck out of my house. Period. Like I'm Which never going to listen exactly to what, what they, they, have they to say. Right. No, they slowly convince. Well, shit. I think we're getting this. I, I well, don't bitch. know. How, I don't know. Yeah, if that, getting, that's a spoiler uh, no. warning, but yeah, because <laughs> <No, laughs> no, we're no, kind of no. getting into it now. But you know no, what we're, I'm saying? We're
2: still like, into spoilers. I, am re- I genuinely yeah. don't.
3: <laughs> well, I'm not I don't trying to be an you, ass here. I genuinely don't know what you're saying. Well, I'm saying like there's nothing these people would have done to convince me throughout the whole movie. If all they're saying if so, you turn on the news and there's some disaster, a big fucking deal. I don't I see that every day on the news as it is to me. I need something more than we saw visions and we found each other online. Oh, great. There's conspiracy idiots on the line that will get get together over everything. To me, I want to know more about. Uh, their convictions and why they were so moved by these supposed visions, and it doesn't have to be like these long drawn out uh, flashbacks. I just, even if it's not a flashback, just give me something more than than that. As far as the like, the reason I don't need it from the couples because I, they just appear to be a, a nice, loving couple to me. I don't need a history on them being nice, loving couple. I mean, they just. That's what they appear to be. And
2: and at the beginning of the movie, our four antagonists seem like they're evil, you know, home invaders. So
3: or delusional. I'm not even one of the two.
2: And that's and of course, again, you know, when somebody stares you in the face and tells you the truth, you don't believe it. I mean, that's a very American thing to do. That's fine. I understand that. But yeah, I don't know. I just feel like the third act is completely ruined if we find out the conviction that these people have. You know what I mean? The whole point is that you never know until the very end if they were telling the truth or not. And, you know, and then we get our answer. So I, I feel like why break that mystery? That was the whole fucking mystery of the movie. Are these four people on the level? Well, I, no, you know, flashbacks that... of any kind. It kind of, you know, well, no. You can, whole,
3: you can still to, have flat You can have flashbacks of the meeting, and that doesn't necessarily mean they're telling you, like it's all true. They can. The, you can have flashbacks, and they're still delusional idiots. Like that. There's delusional idiots that meet up and plot things out, and they're delusional idiots. I don't think you reveal anything's necessarily true or not. It's just I like how the hell did this all come together? I just wanted a little more, not a lot. They just. But Just why – my,
2: my question is why is it important to the story how these four people got together? I feel like it's – it. see, you're saying that the flashbacks of the gay couple are pointless. I'm saying finding out about these four people beforehand would be pointless. Like what – the whole fucking mystery of the whole movie is are they telling the truth? That is the question. Yeah, but I the, don't really think it's that much movie.
3: of a – I don't think it was – is that much of a mystery. I mean I think it one, really? – once four people – once four people show up at a cabin and they have to and they say what they say, if the symbolism isn't screaming at the viewer right then and there what they're trying to do, I mean I'm like okay and the rest of the movie it's like just fairly obvious to me and, and then you add in like the stuff that when they turn on the TV with the news, it's like okay how much more obvious can they make it be? Now yes at the end of I guess at the end of the movie we get like five ten minutes just where the movie kind of makes up. You know, even the, the the way the story is crafted for the movie itself is a, it's clearly made up of its mind whether they were legit or not I guess is a way to put it but I mean I thought from everything in the movie obviously that's what the answer is going to be because it's just the symbolism is just bleeding through the screen to where I didn't think there was any ambiguity and from what I heard Or from what I read, the novel at least makes it a little more ambiguous, which some people would like, some people wouldn't. That's just, you know, everyone's different taste on whether they would want it to be more ambiguous or not. But I didn't think the movie was very ambiguous about anything, to be honest, but... Maybe I'm wrong.
2: Uh, wow. Well, I, I I can't disagree. I can't I can't disagree enough. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole I mean, if you obviously, you know, you're in a theater watching a horror movie. So or at least, you know, what seems to be a horror movie. So you, you, you know, in your head, you think that you already know kind of where the movie is going. I mean, it, I, I I was fully expecting the the M Night Shyamalan twist, you know, at the end or something, you know. And, and you know, thankfully, we don't get it. We get a nice simple story with a nice simple ending, and I love that. I I just I, I yeah, feel like it, was, just, we, it was it you want everything handed to you on a silver platter. It's like why why not make up no I thought I you? thought make everything was, was handed. Story.
3: Story. No, my point is everything was handed to us. In my opinion, How it was, was already handed, handed to us. To us? You because made the
2: decision that everything that was happening in the movie was true. You made that decision. I didn't make that. I watched the movie. I, I made the on decision that the director. I didn't make the. <laughs> but you're sitting decision. here saying just, that it was that it wasn't ambiguous. That you knew the whole time that the world was ending or something.
3: I thought the movie. And- the way the way the story was crafted in the movie made it fairly obvious. I
2: one hundred percent disagree. One hundred percent disagree. Holy shit.
3: Okay. So <laughs> to me when we got to the third act, there was absolutely zero surprise to me what was like what we were seeing. I was like, Yeah, that's the the steps they were setting up. Now obviously the the protagonists, they were they weren't reacting like that. I mean, they were doing their part to be like, what the hell are these people are like, again, I don't I don't even know if I should say what how they were acting, because that kind of you can put one or two and two together once I say that what we're getting at. But I don't know. I just saw it was it It pretty much was going down a single lane the whole time and it stayed and it. It didn't really veer back and forth to me. Wow.
2: Yeah. Uh,
3: yeah. It, 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 no it, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. To me, it would have been a bigger twist if the third act went the other way. That would have been the surprise. Right. That's because... what I was
2: thinking. That's where I thought it was going to go. I'm like, this is Shyamalan, so there's got to be a twist in here. And I thought that was going to be our twist, but luckily it wasn't. <laughs> speaking to what you're speaking about.
3: Well, yeah, but if people who haven't would, seen the movie probably would have been insane a, right now. <laughs> What's Maybe. That? Well, hopefully they've seen it. <laughs> Maybe, but hopefully they've seen it. I actually haven't heard a lot of people I talk oh, about this, though, so I don't know. Have I, mean, you I don't know on that Shyamalan has the
2: pull that he used to. Uh, nah. Yeah, I've been getting sad I mean, for the last couple of days. I do not fucking. I've been on social media.
3: <laughs> I I still, when it comes to M. Night, I still always get a certain level of excitement anyway, because he, there's, I feel like with him, whether you end up liking his movies or not, they always have the potential, right, to be good, so...
2: Every movie ever
3: made has the potential!
2: <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand your statements today.
3: <laughs> well, uh, I mean, no, I think Fungicide well, was probably but,
2: doomed from the start, but you know what I mean.
3: I'm talking, like, no, but I'm talking about specific reputation with certain director-writers. There's... Like, I'm not going to pull up a random movie. Yes, obviously every movie has the potential to be good, but certain directors or writers build up a certain reputation that you feel like, okay, going into this with their style, hey, uh, I I might potentially really like this, but, you know, uh, sometimes. I I, I don't know that M. M. Night's reputation
2: fits that right now.
3: Well, it just depends who you ask, I guess. Some people like all. I mean, some people really liked old from last year, and I was like, "Huh?" Really? Hey,
2: old wasn't the worst thing ever. I mean, shit, it blows Lady in the Water away, and the visit, and the uh, the visit, and uh, the stupid tree movie. Yeah,
3: <laughs> I, mean, hey, I like the visit. I don't know. Not the I mean, movie.
2: you have a lot more faith in Shyamalan <laughs> than I do, because when I see his name, I, I kind of groan. Uh, you you apparently think that you may be getting a good movie, and that's awesome. It's always good to be positive when you're walking into a theater, but. I mean, his name does not carry that positivity that it does for you. Apparently,
3: not for me. Well, it just carries potential, not positivity. I mean, I'm not gonna uh, make a mind about anything. You're,
2: you're saying that potentially I might see a good movie, so you're you're being positive. <laughs> you're hoping that it's a good movie. Obviously, no one's ever hoping that a movie is bad that they just sat in a theater for, but. Uh... <laughs>
3: So, uh, well, folks, this dawn. might be our last
2: show, because I'm pretty sure we're going to be at each other's throats before this is over. <laughs> uh,
3: no, we're not. Not over this movie. And we're not even disagreeing um,
2: that much on the quality of the film. It's just the storytelling. Like, I, I legitimately want to see the movie that Mike watched, because I don't think we watched the same movie. <laughs> I don't think I don't we watched know, the same movie to last say. week, either. <laughs> oh, I and and ultimately, on you know. Oh, see, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree in the sense that yes, Infinity Pool is a better made movie, better directed, better written, blah blah blah. The, the, but, but uh, as far as uh, my entertainment value, Knock at the Cabin fucking destroys Infinity Pool. Fucking destroy. It. Lord, man,
3: oh, don't do it. Uh, is this the Venom clone? I, uh, <laughs>
2: Why would it be a clone? I've told you a thousand times before, and I'll say it a thousand times again. Movies are for entertainment. If a movie doesn't entertain me, why would I give it a good review? It doesn't even make, make any fucking sense to me. I'll, 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 I'll give it all its props for its filmmaking prowess and nice editing, nice score, all that shit. I'll always try to be as objective as possible with these movies. But when it comes to storytelling, I'm pretty much always going to be subjective. It's always going to be a matter of was I entertained? This movie entertained me about fourteen and a half times more than an Infinity Pool did. There.
3: Same here. Yeah, that's an exact number. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I mean, what are you going to?
0: Say? I was probably, t- I, was probably you- t- I was probably closer to t- I was probably closer to ten, but I mean, same sentiment. <laughs>
2: Yeah, like I said, I mean, a movie has to entertain me for me to even look at it in a positive light. Like I said, I can, I can look at a movie like a neon demon, let's say, and I can, I can speak positive, this positively about all the cool filmmaking techniques, all the beautiful women in it, all the cool fashion show stuff, blah, blah, blah. But if you're going to talk to me about just plain storytelling, that's another movie that fails just like Infinity Pool. Yeah, I said it. Come at me, Dave Z. I fucking said it.
3: <laughs> I actually like Neon Demon, but I don't like the superior remake. I don't hate that, Neon so Demon. See? <laughs>
2: I, I genuinely don't hate see, Neon Demon,
1: but that's I mean, just
2: that
3: yeah, that just goes to show it's hard to categorize anyone because sometimes there's things that like you expect people to like and they don't, or vice versa, based on like their other likes and dislikes, and you just never know.
2: And that's why I talk about entertainment value, because for me, that is number one. The fucking Texas Chainsaw uh, Massacre remake entertained me more than, say, I don't know, um, Night House. Even though I can objectively say Night House is a better made movie, more, you know, better actors, better written, blah, blah, blah. Ultimately, one entertained me more than the other. So why would I give the other a glowing review if I don't believe it, if I don't buy into it? Ultimately, folks, this is all, we are all assholes with opinions here. That's all it is. It's all opinions. None of none of us are right. None of us are wrong. Just, you know, sometimes I question the words coming out of people's mouths. That's all. <laughs> can we move on?
3: Uh, Yeah, I mean, we can go to I would say we can go to spoilers, but we kind of like borderline went there already. Um, Well, the thing is, is if you've seen this trailer, you've seen three quarters of the movie.
2: It's really just a matter of are they telling the truth or not? This this is a situation where I'm glad I didn't watch a trailer because I knew nothing. Like when I saw Batista in that first scene, I'm like, oh, shit. Whereas if you'd have seen the trailer, you know, oh, he's not going to hurt that little girl. I didn't know that. So, you know, there's that extra little bit of intensity there for me. So, yeah, just one of the million reasons why I don't watch trailers. But I don't want to harp about that because I know people hate when people bring that shit up. So I'll shut up
3: about it. (laughs) What? Trailers?
2: Yeah, Uh, yeah. There are certain people I've noticed in our community that don't like when other people harp about not watching trailers. I mean, I'm not considering myself, like, elite or better than anyone else. It's a personal decision. I don't want to watch a trailer because I want to see... I want to experience the movie in the theater. I don't want to experience 30% of the movie in a trailer. That's just the way I've been for the last, what, four or five years? So, you know, if you like trailers, rock on. Watch all the fucking trailers. (laughs) I'm not saying one is
3: better than the other or
2: worse, you know?
3: Yeah, it's never bothered me. I mean, people... Can choose to watch People in, the moment, in our uh, circles I don't care.
2: have specifically called me out for saying it a little bit more than uh, maybe I should.
3: We'll talk about it off air. But yeah, <laughs> mm. I've been called yeah. out for it. So. Mm. Anyway. Interesting. I mean, that's just, yeah, it doesn't seem like something anyone should be called out for. I just. I don't know. That's I, don't know. No, I, I, mean, I think
2: I think certain people think that I'm putting myself above other movie viewers because I don't watch trailers. It's like that's not
3: well, my intention you're in watching, any way, shape or you're, form. You're, you're watching the <laughs> pure experience of a movie without. being I'm experiencing by the, the
2: pure film. Yes. That the director wanted me to experience. Blah, blah, blah. That's no, that, that's elitist bullshit. No one knows. I don't believe that. And I've never said it and I never will. <laughs> All right. Shall we? Uh,
3: yeah, let's uh, – I guess we can fill in the gaps of anything we didn't already discuss in the general thoughts. Yeah. So take it away. I mean, this
2: will be a quick one. Um, just for Mike's sanity, I probably won't go over the the, the flashbacks since uh, they're a waste of time. But uh, anyway, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> Knock at the Cabin opens, you know, a, a, as you see in the trailer, a little girl playing in the woods. And suddenly Batista comes out of the woods, starts asking her random questions. Um, He lets her know that him and his friends need to come into the cabin and talk to her family. They are unaware that it's two gay men when they first arrive, or at least that's what they're claiming. And they're basically just saying, you know, people just happen to be in this particular cabin. So you're the one you are you are the um, you are the ones that will be made the proposal to. So um, let's just get into it eventually the four people break into the house obviously the gay couple doesn't let them in cuz they're, they're they're holding these rad ass handmade weapons that just look gnarly as shit and they and make, obviously like D-
3: diy medieval weapons or something
2: <laughs> oh like post apocalyptic like that that looks like shit that you would make in a zombie apocalypse just throw shit yeah. together oh what do i have here i like you, you got up your work I've shed, got a and staff. What,
3: what's sitting around
2: Exactly. Yes. Uh, I, I, I did kind of like that aspect of it. But so anyway, our four, our four uh, antagonists break, you know, basically get into the cabin. They tie our gay couple uh, together on a chair. Well, not together, but they tie them to a chair. They don't tie the little girl to anything. Thankfully, uh, they're not monsters, as we will learn as the movie goes along. And then Batista basically gives them the long and the short of it, which you you all know if you've seen the trailer, that um, they basically the family has been chosen to make a sacrifice to stop the apocalypse. Now, obviously that sounds insane. I mean, I, I think most of us would act like Andrew in this situation, you know, at first and basically call bullshit and everything else. But then the first... Uh, kind of the first inclination that these people are for real is when Redmond, one of the uh, four characters actually played by uh, Rupert Grint, by the way, I'm never going to look at Ron Weasley the same again after watching this movie, not to say that he was like a malicious asshole, but he was very angry throughout the film. And later on, we're going to find out he actually does have a tie to this gay couple and not a very positive one either, but we'll get to that. So basically Redmond, uh, Puts a hood on his face and Batista looks at the couple and says, "Okay, I'm asking you, will you make the sacrifice? Of course, both men say no. And what we see is the other three um, antagonists, by the way, two women and two men, Batista, Ron Weasley and then two actresses I'm not familiar with. But um, they basically unceremoniously execute Redmond. Not, not the couple, mind you. They do do this in front of the couple, and one of them actually screams, don't you dare look away. You know, walk, you need to watch this. Basically, they kill uh, Redmond, take his body outside, and then at that point, they turn the television on. When they turn the TV on, they're talking about an earthquake that happened four hours ago. So, obviously, Andrew instantly is like, this is bullshit. They already knew about that earthquake. You know, that that doesn't prove anything. But then literally in the middle of Andrew denying everything, another news report comes up. And it's talking about another earthquake. And this one is even closer to American shores to the point that we see that tidal wave scene that you guys saw in the trailer where just a fucking 100-foot tidal wave just – basically covers this entire beach. No way anybody survived. Everybody there is dead. And obviously Andrew still doesn't believe. You could see that Eric is starting to believe. Um, I forgot to mention that when they kill Redmond, Eric actually looks into a mirror behind Batista and we see a golden glow. We don't see a figure or anything. We just see kind of a golden glow glimmer off of the mirror. And uh, you just remember that. Keep that in the back of your minds. Um, so, like I said, at this point, um, the couple still isn't convinced, and Batista and the other, and the surviving two antagonists, basically the two women, uh, basically decide, okay, uh, we'll, we'll let you guys have a night just to sleep, you know, think about it, and in the morning, you know, we'll get back to it. It's pretty funny too because when they first get there, there they were the sense of urgency between of these four seemed like really in, intense, but then as soon as they killed one of their own. Suddenly that intensity kind of went away and everybody kind of took a break. Uh, I, did for, I, I did forget to mention that uh, our four antagonists do introduce her, themselves. Uh, Sabrina, uh, one of the female antagonists, is a nurse. This is, obviously, this is what these people are claiming. Uh, she is a nurse, you know, uh, no trouble with the law. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it seems like most of these people are pretty decent until Andrew realizes that he recognizes Redmond out of nowhere he recognizes redmond and then you know this is one of the flashbacks one of the many flashbacks involving the gay couple we see them in a bar um this is the scene where they're talking about their cons you know eric is telling andrew that um he's angry he's got a temper you know issue uh andrew tells eric that he's too soft and too accommodating that he doesn't kind of you know fight for his own rights blah 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 and um Basically, someone, we hear a voice in the distance tell uh, the gay couple, hey, can you guys keep it quiet over there? Now, obviously, we're in a loud bar with music playing on the jukebox. There's no way that this gay couple is speaking loud because they're not even speaking loud. They're not arguing or yelling. They're literally having a normal conversation level, you know, conversation. Um, But we hear the voice tell them to quiet down. Andrew instantly gets like huffy about it. You know, like, oh, we're, we're too loud for you. Excuse me. Are we too loud? And he basically tells the guy, you know, fuck off, you know, go sit back at your table and leave us the fuck alone. Suddenly, you know, within a couple of seconds, we see a beer bottle come towards Andrew's head, smashes right into his head. We then see the, um, the perpetrator grab another bottle, smash Andrew again with the bottle and then leave. We never really get a clear look at his face in the bar in the flashback. But like I said, after this flashback, um, this is when Andrew's like, you guys are targeting us because that's the guy that attacked me in Boston, however many years ago. Now, the group doesn't know this. The other three people, the other three antagonists, they they have no idea. Like I said, they they don't know anything about each other other than what they've told each other since they've met. And they literally just met at the boardwalk like minutes before they showed up at the cabin. So. Um, so, yeah, um Eventually, it is discovered that you know that they eventually get the ID off the dead body, and they do show that it, indeed his name is not redmond and that it is this person who attacked Andrew at the bar years earlier. But at this point, Redmond's already dead, so there's not really a whole lot they can do there. But, like I said, this kind of feeds Andrews thinking that they're being targeted, that they are just that these people are like maybe religious zealots, anti-gay, whatever the case may be, and are just targeting them. That I definitely didn't believe the entire time. You know, as soon as Andrew brought that up, I'm like, no, no way. They would be acting way different if they they were targeting you for being gay. In fact, they probably would have beaten the shit out of you already. Um, Ultimately, none of the four antagonists attack uh, the gay couple unless it's during a struggle. So like at no point do they just bash the shit out of one of the gay couple or, you know, it's usually because one of them's trying to escape or they're in the middle of a tussle of some kind, blah, blah, blah. So that kind of if you're even thinking that while you're watching the film, that kind of starts to clue you in on what exactly is happening, because ultimately we know Batista is a fucking mass of muscle. If he wanted these people dead, they'd be dead in seconds. So obviously the gay thing, you can throw that out the window right away um let's see who's next after that it's the uh the white girl uh, adrian her name is adrian uh, she, uh w- during the introduction scene she introduces herself as a cook she is a line cook at a mexican restaurant and one of the and she talks about one of the things that she loves doing is feeding people she loves seeing happy faces after they be in her foods and she's having this conversation with uh Wen, the little girl um after she made her some breakfast, um, uh, the gay couple must have refused the breakfast because they're, they're, we don't see them eating anything. But ultimately, I think the the remaining antagonists know that this is the last day. <laughs> so um, I don't think they're too worried about feeding the gay couple. Um, so after that, it's revealed that Adrian is the next to go. She is she's the next one on the list. Once again, we see the same, uh, We kind of see the same procedure. She pulls out a white hood, puts the white hood up over her face, and Batista asks one more time, will you sacrifice um, a member of your family to save the world? Again, they refuse. This time, we don't see the kill. It's kind of outside. I mean, not that we really saw the Redmond kill all that well. Um, it was still basically off camera. This one, the camera's not even in the cabin. It'll be outside. But we basically hear them kill Adrian, and then after Adrian is killed, I believe it's uh, is it the what's first the airplanes or the or the virus I think the plane the planes are first, right or the virus I can't remember shit so anyway, the uh, point is, is that after they yeah, kill Adrian, I think it do you is remember I, I think it is the plane first okay, so uh basically as soon as they kill Adrian, once again, they turn on the television to the news and we see a new. It was a report of airplanes falling out of the sky, which kind of fits into the prophecy that Batista read earlier in the film. He, he actually does read, you know, it, it's very Revelations-like where he's talking about, you know, um, items will fall from the sky like glass. And, you know, um, what was it? God's fiery fingers will scorch the earth. Well, you know, just cryptic shit like that. So we're watching the news reports and literally planes are just falling out of the sky. Like literally it seems like all the mechanics on the planes just failed the instant they sacrificed Adrian and literally just planes are falling from the sky. And what was actually a pretty cool looking scene, like all the different news reports with planes falling and kind of uh, cell phone uh, video of people, you know, recording planes just falling from the sky. I thought that was actually pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, so that is the the next I also found it funny how – did you notice that they knocked – when they knocked at the cabin, they knocked exactly six times, which I thought was odd because wouldn't seven have made more sense? Because in the book of Revelations, it's seven seals that are broken. It's seven horns that are blown. Um, Basically, every time a horn is blown, a new – you know, a tragedy happens, like, you know, be it locusts, be it fire from the sky, whatever the case may be. But yeah, they went with six knocks. I found that interesting. Yeah. Um, I,
3: unless, I don't know. I like, mean, maybe I'm reading. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, unless there's something later on that would signify like a seventh knock that I just didn't pick up. But yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, personally, I didn't even re- recall that it was six knocks, but the fact that you remembered it, yeah, and yeah. It makes sense, like, why you're questioning it, because going with the, the symbolism in the rest of the movie, you would think that they would be, like, precise on that kind of stuff. So I'm trying to think if there was any other time that would signify, like, a seventh.
2: I I don't remember, but then they do it in the post-credits, too. Like, after the credits play, and then we get the title card, it knocks exactly six times again. Yeah, I, don't know, I remember there has that. To be some kind of symbolism. yeah. That yeah, six, it's funny just to put that at the of the credits because
3: <laughs> I was sitting there in the theater during the credits, just chilling, like looking on my phone, and then the credits are almost done, and it does the knocking. I was like, "Oh, they just put that in for the hell of it at the end."
2: Oh, hey, it's called the knock at the cabin, so or knock at the cabin, so yeah, there you go. All right, so who's next? So the next person to go in our group is uh, yeah, Sabrina, the the black nurse. Unfortunately, before Sabrina is able to set up her sacrifice, um, Eric and Andrew are able to get out of their restraints. They're they're able to uh, basically when 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 that's a sentence, that's a legit sentence in this movie when when was eating breakfast. Uh, she she kept the knife that was given to her and very slyly uh, a credit to a little girl this girl has got to be like eight nine years old and she was sly enough to get the knife away um, you know from the plate hide it on her person and then sneak it to her dad who would eventually um, cut his uh, restraints the bungee cord that they were using to restrain them and basically. After they try to make the escape, uh, basically Andrew leaves the cabin because they have a gun in the car. They actually do mention earlier in the film that they have a gun in the car. Andrew is able to get out to the car, but just as he gets there, Sabrina shows up. And she basically, you know, with her homemade weapon, she kind of hits him in the knee hard enough to, you know, uh, draw some blood. So he's, you know, not feeling well she's telling him, please come back into the cabin. I don't want to hurt you. We don't want to hurt you. Obviously Andrew still thinks that these guys are like a suicide cult or something. So he's still not believing a word that they're saying. And so eventually he does get into the car. We see that he has the thing, the gun in a safe, a fingerprint safe. He's having trouble getting the fingerprint scanner to, you know, recognize his finger. Obviously, you know, he's, He's got blood on him, dirt, and he's doing it in a hurry. So, you know, it's not recognized that he finally does get the gun out. And instead of shooting Sabrina, he shoots above her. He on purpose, too, because it's very obvious that he didn't miss because he would have kept shooting. He shoots one bullet, tells her to back off, drop her weapon so that he can get out of the cabin and go back into the house and get his husband and his daughter. Sabrina does the smart thing, drops the weapon and just runs the fuck out of there. Now she probably knows that Andrew's not going to shoot her in the back. I I think that's pretty, even though Andrew does have a little bit of an anger issue, it's fairly well established that he's probably not going to kill anybody without provocation. So he ends up going back into the cabin. Um, Batista is there trying to subdue Eric. um, And, Basically, Andrew walks into the cabin with his gun now pointed solidly at Batista. Batista is like, You you can't, you know, you can't do this. We're not, I don't want to hurt you. You know, please put the gun down, blah, blah, blah. They eventually convince Batista to go into the bathroom and they're just gonna lock him in there. While he's locked in the bathroom, he smashes out the window of the bathroom, which very obviously would imply to the gay couple that yes he probably escaped the bathroom but then when they open the door and you see the window it's like yeah there's no way batista's gigantic ass is getting through that fucking window so they're very aware that he's probably still in the bathroom andrew fires off one shot into the shower like through the shower curtain he doesn't get a response we don't hear you know anything so he slowly starts to walk towards the curtain you know we get that stupid You know, shot of uh, him slowly creeping towards the curtain, slowly reaching his hand out to the goddamn curtain. And then finally, just as he grabs the curtain, Batista jumps out through the curtain, is able to disarm him. And then we see that Batista actually did get hit. He got shot in the arm. What a fucking badass. He got shot in the arm and didn't make a goddamn peep. Yeah, that's that's pretty fucking awesome. Anyway, I I, I fully believe Batista could probably do that in real life.
3: I was gonna say when he initially jumped out of the shower, I was like, "Holy shit!" Did they just miss him completely? But then you saw, yeah, you know, the the wound or the mm-hmm. the little trickle of blood out from those bulging biceps. <laughs> well, when you're when you're that big
0: and kind of makes you think, think if he would have done and... a stunt <laughs> like that, he probably would have had a WWF career.
3: <laughs> yeah, he probably has a career somewhere else besides Hollywood. <laughs>
2: Anyway, so yeah, so like I said, Batista is able to disarm Eric, uh, disarm Andrew, excuse me, he gets Mm -hmm. Andrew and Aaron back into the living room. Um, But at this point, you know, he has no interest in shooting them, obviously. Um, Basically, he just takes the gun. And um, oh, I I forgot, I'm I'm sorry, I'm skipping a piece. Um, During the struggle for the gun. Uh Before the struggle for the gun i 'm sorry before they actually get Batista into the bathroom, Sabrina comes running into the house from the back door, hoping to disarm Andrew before he shoots uh, batista 's character Leonard. Unfortunately, Andrew just shoots her straight in the chest, pretty much killing her instantly and obviously you 're thinking, wait a minute if if she died by gunshot, like how does that fuck, you know how does that affect the prophecy blah blah blah. But what ends up happening is Batista takes her white, uh, her white hood out of her pocket, puts it on her and then still goes through the motions of asking the couple, have you made a choice? Do you make a choice to sacrifice someone to save the world? Again, they both say no. And Batista just goes and kind of goes through the motions of, you know, she's already dead, like I said, but he just goes through the motions of hitting her a couple of times with his homemade weapon. And then at that point, they turn the TV on again. And this time what's happening is there's a virus. There's a new virus. Well, it's not a new virus. It's a virus that's actually been around for a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. But the news report is talking about out of nowhere, the virus suddenly became incredibly deadly for kids 10 and under. Basically, any kid, that it's easily transferable and that if any kid gets it, it's pretty much a death sentence. It, I think they call it V9 is the virus in the, um, in the movie. It's called V9. Again, Andrew is like, that's just coincidence. And uh, again, Batista is trying to convince him, no, it's not coincidence, blah, blah, blah. At that point, uh, Batista takes our, our, uh, the, the entire family, all three of them. He takes them outside, and once again, he is going to make the proposal. But before he does, um, Andrew is smart enough to tell his daughter to grab her headphones, go run towards, to go to her treehouse, put on her headphones, and listen to the music nice and loud, and to stay there until someone gets, comes to get her. After she's gone, Batista is basically sitting in a chair outside on the patio. He pulls out a knife. Instantly, you know, the, the, Andrew and Eric both kind of, you know, reel back a little bit like, you know, Batista's probably going to attack them or something. But no, nope, Batista looks at him one more time and says, are you willing to make a sacrifice to save the world? Once again, for the final time, they say no. And Batista unceremoniously raises the knife to his neck and slits his own throat. And we see him bleed out shortly. And just before he dies or just before he slices his throat, he, he says all of humanity has been judged. And as soon as he cuts his throat, then we see the lightning. And this was the part of the prophecy where God will God will touch the earth with his fiery fingers and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's lightning. We see lightning all over the world. Um, You know, obviously, at this point, the TV in the cabin has been smashed, so we're not seeing any more reports. But, I mean, we are still seeing reports, just not under the guise of watching them on TV. And, yeah, lightning is striking all over the world. Everywhere that the lightning strikes, it's bursting in the flame. It's just, you know. Also, as soon as Batista slits his own throat, we see the clouds, the gray clouds show up. Literally, instantly, the weather changes. Uh, We see the clouds. It starts raining heavily, though even with the heavy rain, the lightning is still striking and still setting things on fire. At this point, Eric and Andrew are in the cabin, and they're just like, look, at this point, Eric has made the decision that – he believes that they're true, that the, that the four antagonists were being legitimate and that the story they're telling was real because he tells them, again, I saw that image of uh, I saw the shape, a figure in the mirror right before they killed Redmond, right before they killed the very first one. Um, and he, you know, he it, they, they kind of have a cryptic little back and forth about who they think it is. They don't say anybody by name, but. You know, uh, obviously, Andrew's thinking that it's something angelic. Uh, So he basically tries to convince Andrew to shoot him and tells him, no, 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 you have to kill me. I've already seen I had a um, I had a prophecy of my own. And this is where we actually see a kind of a future scene where um, when is fully grown up. She's a beautiful woman. um Andrew is there with her. She's walking out of her veterinary practice, which, you know, as a little girl, when tells Leonard that she wants to help animals, you know, when she grows up. And so we see this little bit of a, you know, flash forward, if you will. Andrew, you know, Eric is just, you have to do it. You have to be the one to take me out. By the way, I did forget to mention early on that, uh, Batista does let them know they can't commit suicide you can't just kill yourself to do this it has to be one member of the family making the decision to kill another and they have to actually do it so basically from outside the cabin we hear a single gunshot when the camera returns inside the cabin we see Eric lying on the ground with Andrew on top of him just crying over and over again Literally as soon as Eric dies, we start to see the lightning dissipate. Like it, it starts to go away, but not before one last lightning strike hits the cabin that they were living in, and the cabin just bursts into flames. We see a tree fall through it. I mean the cabin is just completely gone. There's probably not gonna be much uh uh remnants of human remains left in there, so they're they're all gone forever. Andrew goes back up to the um the treehouse and the first thing that wen says is did you save the world did you save all the people something along those lines which i thought was so cool for this little girl to understand that one of them had to die and as soon as she sees one of them alive and the sky start to clear up she literally asks did you save the world obviously Eric is gone. Uh, We see a little finale scene of them driving off to a diner while they're at the diner, um, which is full, by the way, full of people. So obviously they were able to thwart the apocalypse. We've seen more news reports on the TV where they're like, everything suddenly went back to normal. Planes are landing like normal. Kids aren't dying. There's even a report on the news where a nurse is like, this is the first hour in a couple of days that no one has died in this hospital. So it definitely seems like things are reverting back to normal. And then we just get one final shot of when and Andrew in the car, they turn on the radio And uh, Boogie Shoes comes out, which is a a song that they all listen to together. They even had a little carpool karaoke scene, which I thought was cute. Another flashback that we would have lost if Mike had his way. Um, Just showing the couple kind of, you know, enjoying the song, all three of them singing it together. And then at the end of the movie, like I said, the song comes on the radio completely, you know, uh, by accident or, you know, just happenstance, I guess. Andrew turns on the radio, realizes the song that's playing, and he instantly turns it off. Wen then goes and reaches for the radio, turns it back on. But then she looks over at Andrew and sees that he's, being, that he's getting sadder and sadder, so she turns the radio off. But then Andrew makes the decision to turn the radio back on, and then we just see Wen and Andrew drive away into a very hopeful you know, scene, with the sun rising and the storms are over and it's a sunny day blah 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 so there you go folks that is a knock at the cabin no twist to be found which i fucking love thank you m night for making a movie that doesn't finally doesn't have a twist (laughs) yeah (laughs) like i I said the twist has been ruining his movies for a while
3: (laughs) if anything this one's structured to where we get the pertinent quote-unquote twist information right off the start and then it goes from there as opposed to like giving us the mystery at the beginning and then revealing at the end oh but it's really such such and such right so this and 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 really that i i would assume it's because since he's adapting a book he would have had to really restructure the story to get around that. So it sounds like he just found a story he wanted to adapt or the studios wanted to make the movie and he, they hired him to do it. And then he just decided I'm going to structure the screenplay a lot more similar. To the yeah. Movie. That
0: was like a really comment about it, not being M night where it just felt like him being a director for hire. I think that's kind of where I was coming from with that because yeah, it doesn't really have a lot of, His usual tricks and tropes in it. Yay.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And while he did have a cameo in this one, he didn't go and do something like cack himself as like probably his worst fucking cameo figure, you know. (laughs)
2: Uh,
3: It was like yeah, it was like there was no reason for it really in this one.
2: (laughs) No. It was just to make the audience laugh. That's literally all it was. Like literally the whole audience laughs. Why did he even do that? Can somebody explain to me? Like, is it just like pompousness that he wants to be in his own movie? He's so recognizable. His face is it's not like Mike Flanagan making an appearance in one of his movies. It's more like Alfred Hitchcock making an appearance in one of his own movies. He's so recognizable that it's instantly going to take you out of the movie. And that's exactly what it did to me. I'm like, really, guy? you're going to sit there and do an infomercial for some kind of food <laughs> processor. I don't know what the hell he was talking about, but yeah, I'm just, or it was a cooking show, I think, or whatever, but yeah, I just like, this is the most pointless appearance of M night in one of his movies ever. And he's had some pretty pointless appearances. <laughs>
3: well, yeah. And, and it's a lot different now, like that we're further into his career. Cause you could, I guess you could make the argument his first couple of movies before people really knew him like by, being able to point him out, you could say, "Okay, they say his
0: name properly."
3: <laughs> yeah, that too, for sure. At, at this point, it's almost like there's probably people just waiting for him to pop up because they know it's going to happen.
2: Well, then subvert that expectation. You subverted yeah. the whole twist expectation. Let's <laughs> start subverting that. that, that M night. <laughs> That'll be the next. If you want to be an, an actor, of of just be a fucking first. actor. <laughs> but ah, so sick of it. Any director. If you have a recognizable face, don't put yourself in your fucking movies. You're taking your audience out of the film. I mean, I was, I, was, I was invested. I'm like, I'm digging it. And then in comes his ugly fucking mug. And it's like, oh, right. It's an M. Night Shyamalan movie. I mean, literally, I wasn't even thinking about that. But then his face appears. Like, yeah, I mean, that, that's just pretentious shit. Stop it. Fucking stop it.
3: God damn it. Yeah um all right well i think i think that will wrap up our discussion on knock at the cabin um so let's go around and figure out what else we got people or for people to listen to so venom i'll start with you uh what 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 do you got right now
2: all right the latest episode of the crystal lake gift shop is in the can and should be out as you listen to this episode i'm not sure if phil's actually posted the episode yet but if not it should be very shortly after you're listening to this that is episode uh like i said episode number three once again lacy lou joined us as we looked at episode three of the friday the 13th series which was entitled cupid's quiver so look out for that Creature Comforts, episode 15. 15 or 16? I forgot what we're up to already. Uh, 15, 15. I think. Yep. Okay, so episode 15 just recorded this past weekend, uh, where we looked at another classic uh, creature feature. This one is The Monster That Challenged the World from 1957. Uh, I'm still editing that episode, so look out for that maybe sometime next week. That should be available for you. The main show, it looks like we're finally ready to record episode 50. Hopefully, it looks like it's going to be done this weekend. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll just keep that under my hat, like what we've got in store for that one. Hopefully, you know, we'll have some stuff for you guys. It's, it's a big anniversary episode. So, um, it, you know, and honestly, it's the first show that I've been on since the beginning to get to episode 50. So for me personally. This is a milestone. I've been on lots of podcasts that have, you know, like the horror cast where I was on for like three years, but I mean, I wasn't there from the beginning. So at least for me, this means a lot. I know, I know guys like Mike have been in the podcasting game a lot longer than me. So, you know, obviously maybe he's experienced it a little bit more, but yeah, for me, it's something special. So like I said, hopefully sooner than later, you'll be getting no more room in hell episode 50. And I believe that's all I have. No guest spots currently. Yay. It's been a quiet few weeks. <laughs> oh. I like it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Don, how about you? Uh,
0: yeah. As mentioned, Creature Comforts number 15 is recorded. That uh, was a lot of fun and uh, kind of came up with a, a great deal of jokes about the film in particular. That uh, it, was, it was a fun time. Um a uh, latest episode of uh, the horror countdown is also available i had a, a couple of guests on to look at non slasher horror film villains so basically uh creatures or uh you know uh, other kind of non slasher so we're not looking at freddy we're not looking at jason we're not looking at michael we're looking uh to to give you an idea um we're looking more at like um the Queen from Aliens or uh we're looking at uh Frankenstein or Dracula or you know, uh, characters like that. So uh, that, uh that, yeah, um there may have been a, an appearance keeping that under wraps Woo! but yeah, um basically uh you know, you know stuff like that. So uh that is uh, available now and i should have a guest spot uh coming up shortly i i'm in talks to uh join up with uh, the nightclub once again I've, I've been a guest on there a couple of times already and uh they're asking me to come on to do something i i did we talked about it a couple of days ago and I I don't remember. There's been a lot going on recently, but um, I'm in talks to join them. It should be coming up soon. Um, Maybe next appearance, I'll have more information, but I I should be joining them. So uh, that should be a lot of fun, because I've joined them in the past, and they were just as much fun, and this one sounds even more promising. So uh, hopefully that'll come to pass, but uh, otherwise... Uh, the only other thing is, is that I'm getting ready for Women in Horror Month. So uh, hopefully I'll be able to have uh, free time because I'm probably going to end up spending most of uh, February looking up all the people that I get. So uh, here's to a lack of free time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> all right. As far as I go, yeah, just a Crystal Light gift shop. Episode three, Cupid's Quiver it was a good one. It was a good episode and a, a good episode of the podcast as well so listen to that that's up on the No More room in hell uh youtube and i should probably mention so the youtube channel used to be called no More room in hell but uh, recently there i discovered there's another normal room in hell channel that's like it's i think it has to do with like games or something so i did change the name to no More room in hell podcast because we kind of fall under our, our multiple shows fall under our YouTube channel, so I figured, okay, that's a good excuse to change it just slightly to differentiate because that way uh, people won't get directed to the other one on accident, click into it, be like, what the hell is this? So, um, yeah, No More Room in Hell Podcasts is the YouTube channel where pretty much everything uh, is getting thrown up there under the umbrella. So check that out, like it leave a comment, do whatever. I think we're like just under 100 subs now, so it's it's slowly climbing. Like I don't check it every week, um but every time I do the the subs grow, so that that's good at least. Um you know, if like I said, if if the YouTube channel ever gets big enough to where it's worth doing something specifically for it other than just uploading audio versions, maybe I'll look into it. Um but you know, we we'll, we'll see. And then um, yeah, like uh, Venom said, No More when Hell Number Fifty should be coming soon. So get ready for that. Um, but that's it for me. Is, is there anything theatrical this week? I, I don't know. I know there's February. I don't cocaine bear if if we're considering that. Horror, like, are you guys doing that actually for creature features by chance or? Uh, uh, do
1: we I don't think so. Soon, yeah. okay.
0: We we just recorded a creature. We, we just recorded, so I don't think we're in the mi- we're in the mindset of what's our next episode.
3: Okay. Yeah, that yeah. movie, I mean, it comes out later in February, not this week, but I'm trying to think. I think there's another theatrical Oh, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no wait, wait. This week or not.
0: Wait, weren't we supposed to do that Norwegian movie that you tagged us in?
2: Yeah. The Werewolf movie, yeah. Yeah, I that's
3: what the name of it. Oh, yeah, that's on Netflix, I believe. Wolf something, yes, Wolf... I... Yeah. So yeah. okay. Yeah, we can do that. then I only know half the title, "Found we- <laughs> Memory," but uh, it's on Netflix, and it is, yeah, Norwegian, I think. So yeah, Norwegian uh, or Swedish. Cool. All right. Wolf, well, I guess we got our movie.
0: Viking wolf. Viking wolf.
3: <laughs> Viking wolf. Yeah, Viking
2: wolf. Yeah,
0: that's it. That's
3: it. All right. Well, there you go. That's our next episode. So thank you, everybody, for listening. We will catch you in a week's time with our next episode. Let's say bye to our listeners.
2: Later. Never answer the door at the cabin.
3: Yeah, horror movies have taught me anything. Uh, bad things happen at cabins in the woods, so uh, you might mm-hmm. just want to avoid them altogether. let go. Let's go to the beach.